If you have been with us over the last few weeks or watching on television or as we live stream our Sunday morning services, you will know that the Apostle Paul visited this ancient Greek city in the year 49 to 50 AD. And as he shared his faith and preached the gospel, it had such an impact that a young church was birthed right there in the center of this large, vibrant, busy city. And Paul sadly had to leave the city under fear of persecution. And several months went by when he was praying for them, longing to hear how they were doing. His colleague Timothy visited Thessalonica, came back and gave Paul the most encouraging of reports. And so he writes the epistle known as 1 Thessalonians. And so he's been encouraging them to grow in their faith, grateful for all that God has done. As you come to chapter 4, he now begins to challenge them at a level he hasn't thus far. And so we're coming to 1 Thessalonians 4 at verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. In the past 50 years, as a society and a nation, we have progressed so much. Areas of education, medicine, healthcare, science, agriculture, literature, art, so many areas. But my question this morning, as we come to First Thessalonians chapter 4, for all the progress we have made in areas of digital sophistication, have we also made progress in areas of morals and spirituality and ethics? Have we made significant progress in these areas in our culture and society? And the Apostle Paul, as he comes to chapter 4, has been just thrilled by all that he's heard of this young church in Thessalonica growing in their faith, making worship and prayer a priority, longing to develop the relationship with Christ. And he challenges them in chapter 4 in a way he hasn't thus far 
And here is this young church in this busy, thriving city, and it's almost as if he's saying to them, I've heard so much about you in so many ways. I am thrilled and delighted for you, but please understand this. You cannot confine your faith to Sunday morning. Sunday morning is, as we often say here at First Prayers, the highlight of our weekend. And it is. It's a time when hundreds of us gather together for worship. It's a time when we spend it in prayer and in the study of God's word. And in doing that, he equips us, he encourages us, he strengthens us to live out our faith day by day by day by day. Because if we restrict or confine our faith only to Sunday morning, it may well be that it quickly becomes shallow and superficial. Because if the gospel does anything, when it transforms the heart, when it draws us into a relationship with Christ, when we are exposed to his love and know his forgiveness and our lives are changed forever, when he wraps us in his arms of love and grace, it's about living out our faith day by day by day. And that's exactly where Paul is going in chapter 4. And he's doing it quite intentionally. And notice how he begins. He writes, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And then he goes on. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he's saying, as you develop in your faith, as you grow in your faith, from time to time, you will be challenged. And those challenges will come in all sorts of ways. Now, imagine, for example, that you've just had a couple of interviews. There's a position in your place of work that will involve promotion and a greater salary. And in your mind, you have been busy praying and thinking and planning. And you're thinking of moving out your apartment into a small home. And you can't wait for the final interview because you're on the short list and there's only three people. Your supervisor is encouraging you. He's also saying to you, I'm praying for you. You have all the necessary gifts and abilities to take this job to the next level. And that's what we're looking for. And then right out the blue, the job is offered to someone else. And you think, oh, what happened? The Lord almost told me it was mine. What is going on? And whenever you come across a challenge, those are moments when you grow in your faith. Because often God moves you to your knees, and when you're on your knees, you are in a position of dependency, a position of growth and learning. And as Paul gets into the rest of the chapter, notice what he says. Verse 3, he said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, you are well educated enough in biblical studies to know what the word sanctified means. But this morning, 
we have a televised service, we live stream on the net, so some of our folks watching this morning may be watching for the first time. And sanctification, in essence, is this. It is a lifelong process where Christ will not only wrap his arms of love and grace around you, but in so doing, he will also mold you and shape you and refine you in order that you become more like him. And he often uses challenges to teach us and enable us to grow. In fact, those of us who are parents and grandparents will know that when we have our children and our grandchildren around, things will happen in the course of the day that doesn't please them, but they grow as a result. And often that's the case in the Christian life. The sanctification process is the hand of God refining and molding and shaping and fashioning you so you become more Christ-like. And in writing to this young church in Thessalonica, he's saying, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And then the second half of that verse is controversial and sensitive to say the least. And frankly, I wish I could just jump over it, but I can't. It's right there in scripture, and so we have to take it seriously. Now, notice again what he's saying, verse 3, because this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. He said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know who do not know God. And, this, and in this matter, no one should wrong his brother. And let me jump on to verse 7, where he writes, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And here is Paul saying to this young church, if you are ever to grow in your faith, challenges will come your way in areas that are very sensitive, that are controversial, but remember, you cannot confine or restrict your faith only to Sunday morning. If your faith cannot help you live out your faith day by day by day, if it has no answer to the big issues of life, the challenges all of us face, it's not much of a faith. That's what Paul is telling them. And he's saying to them, how then do you respond when it comes to this issue of sexual attraction and behavior? As a Christian, being impacted by the gospel of growing in your faith, how do you live out your faith in this most sensitive of areas? Because this young church knows this that their relationship with Christ is not so much an activity on Sunday morning, but it is in fact a central part of their identity. Not so much an activity, a central part of their identity. It defines who they are. And what Paul in essence is saying is this, your walk must equal your talk. 
You cannot claim to be a Christian Sunday morning and then live any old way you like in a casual, careless manner. Your faith must impact every aspect of your life. And then he takes us to this controversial and sensitive subject. Now, having said all of that, we touched on this last probably 18 months ago or thereabouts, and I used the illustration I'm about to use this morning. So if this is redundant, please forgive me, but I think it will make the point. And I need you to use your imagination this morning. Imagine that you are 24, 25 years old. You are a young lady. Your best friend, Julie, has been dating Tom for the last 12 to 14 months. You think that Julie's relationship with Tom is becoming pretty serious. And Julie phones you up on a Tuesday or a Wednesday that week and says, now, are you free Saturday morning? I've got some news I want to share with you. And you say, I'm free right now if you want to tell me. She says, no, 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 I can wait. Saturday morning is fine. And you and Julie are so close. When you were little, you went to ballet lessons together. You learned to swim together. Your mums knew each other and knew each other well. Your families are pretty close. You played basketball together in college. You graduated together. In fact, you were roommates for the last year of college. You got jobs around the same time, and all of your life now lies before you. There is no one you're closer to than Julie. So Saturday morning comes, and you meet at Starbucks or a cafeteria somewhere, and you sit down and having a cup of coffee and catching up. And as Julie comes in, she is absolutely beaming, looks wonderful, is so happy. And you think you know what her news is. And after exchanging chit-chat and getting something to drink, you're sitting there, and the conversation moves to a whole new level. And she says, I need your advice. You know, Tom and I have been dating over the last 12 to 14 months. And he told me a couple of months ago, that he loves me. And he's ready to take our relationship to a new level. He wants our families and our friends to treat us as a couple. He wants us to buy an apartment together. He wants us to move in together. And I'm not quite sure what to do. And your immediate instinctive response is, now Thomas told you that he loves you. Do you love him in the same way? She says, yes, I think I do. Are you ready to move to the next level in a relationship where your families will recognize you as a couple? Taking on a mortgage is a big step. Are you ready to make that step financially? Yes, I am. And then it's your job to probe a little further and to say to Julie, now Julie, he's clearly committed to you emotionally. He loves you. He's committed to you financially because he wants to take out a mortgage and have an apartment with you. 
He's committed to you relationally because he wants family and friends to treat you as a couple. And so emotionally, relationally, financially, he's committed to you. But Julie, is he committed to you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sick, in sickness and in health, as long as you both shall live? Is he ready to be married? Julie says, no, he's not ready to be married. He's ready to be show commitment in all these other areas, but he's not ready to be married. And then it's your thankless task to have to say to Julie, Julie, please don't settle for anything other than lifelong commitment of love. It seems that Tom wants convenience over commitment. He wants an apartment. He wants to be treated as a couple. He wants you to move in with him. He wants all the benefits of married life, but none of the commitment. Scripture teaches us this, that God gives to us his gift of love. And part of that love between a husband and a wife rightly is physical attraction. And it is a spectacular, wonderful gift. Whenever I marry couples and they're standing in front of me, I will describe marriage for them and I will say God has designed it for the full expression of love and commitment between a husband and a wife. And that's exactly what it is. And that's why we call it holy matrimony. It's lifelong commitment. Next February, or next March rather, Ruth and I will celebrate 40 years of being married. But the day we stood in front of her minister, and committed ourselves to each other, both of us would have told you right at that moment we could not possibly love each other more than we did on the 28th of March, 1981. Couldn't possibly have loved each other more than that. But I love her more today than I did back then because it gets sweeter and sweeter and deeper and richer as the years go by. And it gets that way because when I mess up and mess up badly and have been selfish and sinful in my thinking and the things I want to do and the places I want to go and I haven't been thinking of Ruth, I need to go back to her and say, I am sorry, I messed up what was I thinking? Please forgive me. That moves the relationship to a deeper level. I don't get to walk away whenever it's convenient, buy another apartment with someone else further down the line when I'm fed up with this relationship. Marriage means commitment for life. 
It's not by accident those vows say richer for poorer, better for worse, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. And that's what Paul is saying. It is God's will that you should be sanctified so that you should avoid sexual immorality. It is God's wonderful gift. Don't settle for second best. Don't cheapen it with only the physical Don't make it shallow and superficial. Don't take the great things of God and make them tawdry and cheap. But honor them. Enjoy them. Celebrate his gifts. Commit yourself. That's the point of marriage. That's why Paul is saying right here to this young church, if you are going to be different from the rest of the society and culture around you in ancient Greece, stand firm on Christian values. Isn't that a message for us in the 21st century? when the culture and society around us is saying the very opposite from what Scripture is teaching, you will not get this on Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime. It's just not there. Because they will tell you it's only the physical that matters, and we say, ah, 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 ah. And we take a stand on Christian values, and we do so graciously, with courtesy, and with respect. And we say, no, there are some things that are sacred, and we will not cheapen them. And we will then be told that you're old-fashioned, out of touch, archaic, narrow-minded. You need to get away from that stuff and come into the 21st century. And our job is to shake our head and say, sorry, there is a better way. There is a fuller and richer and deeper way when husbands and wives love each other for the long haul till death do us part. And right there is where children are raised. Right there they have a safe and home and secure environment. Right there they grow in a context of love and prayer and grace and care. That's what makes us different. And please forgive me for a second while I get a little passionate and say this. That when the culture and society society around us tells us that we are archaic and out of touch and old-fashioned, our job is to say we will not be quiet. We will not shut up. We will not marginalize our faith for your convenience. We will not say it's okay to watch for all intents and purposes soft pornography on multiple channels almost at any time of day. And we will not do that. And we will not say it's okay because for all of the great advancements we have made in so many areas. Ethically, spiritually, morally, 
not so much. And it's our job to stand firm and make a difference. And that's why Paul says right there in verse 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Holiness matters. Christian standards matter. Our values are important, not because we are narrow-minded, not because we are somehow out of touch, not because we're archaic, but the opposite, because we want the very, very best for ourselves, our children, our culture, and our society. And when we cheapen the best and make it superficial and shallow, it never ends well. Never. And so we are serious when it comes to Christian ethical and sexual values. And we are committed to them. Whether they are sensitive, whether they're controversial, however folks want to paint them, we are committed to them because we are committed to being Christ-like in every aspect of our lives. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture that is so challenging to us today. And Father, we freely confess that we have not always handled this area well in our lives. And so we ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us and grant to us, please, your amazing and equipping grace through the empowering of your Holy Spirit. And help us, please, to stand for that which is good and holy, that which is to be celebrated and rejoiced in. And Father, help us, please, to stand firm. And may we know your presence in our midst as we stand firm for the things of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.